Why don't you guys go ahead and find your way back to your seat. As always, we love seeing the church alive in this time, just uh, fellowshipping with one another. It's one of the reasons why we get together and celebrate all these things is so we can do that together in one spirit. So if you missed it, my name is John. I'm one of our worship leaders here. Uh, welcome to Flourishing Grace Church. Uh, today, we're actually starting a brand new series, The Pursuit of Dependency. And so in this chunk of sermons, maybe chunk is a weird word. I felt weird when I said that just now. In this uh, group of sermons, uh, we're talking about all the things that we care deeply about here at Flourishing Grace. And so uh, we just got done with a series, and now we're going to be going into dependency. It's a series on prayer, relying on the Holy Spirit, relying on God for all things. And uh, this is something that I think that many of us struggle with, just letting go uh, and giving things over to God. And so I'm excited to hear from Pastor Josh uh, this morning. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6. Uh, verses 9 through 13. And uh, many of you, if you grew up in the church or been around church, uh, you know this as uh, the Lord's Prayer or the Our, Our, Our Father. And so, um, man, I want all of us to, to stand in reverence of God, God's Word as we read this together. Um, but I know that all of us are familiar with this prayer in so many different ways, with these and thous and maybe not. And so we're actually just going to put it on the screen so that way we can kind of read it all together. And uh, instead of just reciting this, I want us to think about what we're praying here as we say this. And so let's say this all together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Amen. Thanks, John. And good morning once again, Flourishing Grace. I mean, all over the world today, like literally all over the world today, uh, and churches, um, and people will be reciting that prayer. Um, that was given to us over 2,000 years ago by, by Jesus. Um, and so over the next few weeks, as John said, really over the next two months, uh, we're going to be sitting in that prayer and just walking through it line by line by line. And this morning, we're just going to look at the first line, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or Luke's version, he just leaves out the who art in heaven parts because it's like, well, of course that's where God lives, like, I think is what Luke thinks. Uh, but our Father, hallowed be your name. That's what we're going to look at uh, this morning uh, together. And as John said, man, this, this new series is kind of a new moment for us. Dependency is going to be a hard one. I, I really do. I think it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be hard for me. We are by our nature uh, not a dependent people. Um, in fact, as we think about uh, dependency, for most of us in this room, maybe for all of us, right? Dependency has a negative connotation. Um, it's not something that we think, man, I want to be a dependent person. Like, no, nobody thinks that. Um, because for us, dependency is weakness. It is, um, and you are, you're insufficient, you're incompetent, you are childish. Um, you can't do it. You can't achieve. I don't want to be dependent. I want to be independent, Literally, if you look up dependency in your thesaurus, I know everybody carries one around, like those are the words that you will see uh, when you look up dependency. Weak and childish, incompetent. These are, the, these are words in our, in our culture that would be, be dirty words, helpless. I don't, I don't want to be dependent on anyone. Dependency is seen as an unhealthy thing. And we are told that if we work hard enough, 
If we work really, really hard, we can escape this trap of dependency and reach the glory land that is independence, right? We have a whole holiday dedicated to that, right? That's who we are in the West. Like, that's our culture. That's, we want to be a, an independent people, a people who can pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and get it done. That is celebrated in our culture. It's cheered on. And many of you, since you were little children, that you've been taught that's a valuable thing, independence. But over the next few weeks, I want to rail against that and bang against that and remind us again and again and again that that is not the way of the kingdom of God. It is the way of this world, but it is not the way of the kingdom of God. We are called to dependence, not independence. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, man, when is it like culturally acceptable to be dependent? Like when does the world look in and say, oh, dependency, that's a good thing there. Like when is that? Because it's, it's got to be good at some point in time. And I don't know if you, if you think about that for a second, like when is it okay to be dependent? I don't know what the first thing that comes into your mind is, but there's a number of things, but the, kind of the big easy one, the first thing that came into my mind was like a child, a child is supposed to be dependent, right? That's normal for kids to be dependent. The IRS agrees with me. Like on my taxes, it says dependence. Like they're actually dependent on me for everything, right? And the world looks in on that and they says, and the world says, oh yeah, that's, of course it's okay. Of, of course, like kids should be dependent on their parents. Why wouldn't they be dependent on their parents? And I begin to think, well, why is it okay for the world to say, and yes to kids, kids being dependent on adults, but for adults to be dependent on another adult, on another, on another, on another adult um, that's, that's wrong. It's not okay. It's not, you can't be, why, why is that? And I kind of came up with three, three different things. First, I mean, kids are literally helpless, right? They just are. Like, if you're a parent, you know this. It's true. They are helpless. Like, nobody looks at like a newborn baby and says, you lazy, weak kid, get up and feed yourself already. Get yourself, change your own diaper. Like, nobody says that. If you say that, you are a mean and cruel human being. You look at the baby and you say, yes, that child is dependent. But even, like, older kids. My, my oldest son just turned nine years old uh, yesterday. Party on Winston. And if Winston said, hey, can I go sledding, Dad? And I was just like, yeah, sure, go sledding. Homeboy would go sledding in his underwear. All right? He just would. He would go outside in shorts and a t-shirt with no shoes on and go sledding because he is dependent on me to say, you need to put on warm clothes before you go sledding. He just is. And you know this is true if you have kids. They're dependent on you for, for, for wisdom that doesn't seem very wise. Okay? They're dependent on you for all sorts of things. They're dependent on you to, to make money so you can put food on the table and a shelter over their head. Nobody looks at a nine-year-old and says, get a job already. Maybe I've said that. Maybe I've said that. But you're not supposed to say that. Kids are rightly dependent. They're actually helpless. And adults, supposedly, are not. That's the, number, that's the second thing I thought of. Like, right, adults, in general, are supposed to be independent or especially in a position where they can help a child, right? I'm in a position. I've lived long enough, and I, I know enough, and, and I've... And I, I earn an income that I can actually help this child. I am not, I am not in a position where, um, I'm, or sorry, I am in a position where I can care for this kid. I have a greater power. I have a greater knowledge. I have greater resources than this child has. 
right? And so therefore, it's right and good for me to be the one that they can depend on. And then the last thing, the third thing that I thought of is this, right? In general, culture looks at the relationship between a parent and a child, and they say, man, this parent actually wants to, to care for their kid. They want to provide for their kid. There's a loving relationship with it there. And I know this isn't always true, right? But not only is the parent capable of this, but they want to. They, they, there's a desire to provide for the children, a desire to care for the child, a desire to, to love them in this way. And so we see that children are actually helpless. Adults are actually capable. And in general, parents love their children and want to care for them. So what if, what if I told you that there was a God a God who is infinitely more powerful and infinitely more capable than you are. And that you are, in fact, far less capable than you think or even want to admit. And that that God delights in caring for those who seek him. He delights in it. Right there, in that place, you would find a good and right and healthy relationship of dependency. And I believe that this is what you have. The thing that I want you to see this morning is this. We are far more dependent than we know. And dependency is a far healthier thing than we want to admit. We are actually far more dependent than we know. And dependency is a far more healthy thing than we want to admit. Dependency on God is a healthy thing. And dependency on others is actually a healthy thing as well. We're not going to get into that too much this morning. I want to talk about our dependency on God. It's a healthy thing. We are far more dependent than we know, and dependency is far healthier than we want to admit. And I believe that this is exactly what the Lord's Prayer is awakening in us. It's what it points us to. It's what it teaches us. In Luke's account of the, of the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father, depending on what faith tradition you grew up in, in Luke's account, there's a little bit of a backstory going on, right? So the disciples are watching Jesus pray. They're watching him pray. And, and the disciples are not new to prayer. Prayer is not a new thing for them, right? These are first century Israelite men. They've grown up in prayer. Uh, prayer is everywhere in first century Israel, right? Prayer is in their homes. Prayer is in the synagogue. As young boys, they were taught to memorize the prayers of the Psalms. The prayer is not a new thing for them. But when they watch Jesus pray, they say, not like that. Like, my dad never prayed like that. The, 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 the leader of my synagogue never prayed like that. I was never taught to pray like that. And so the this, this story starts with the disciples seeing Jesus pray, and they say, teach us to pray. Teach me to do that. It's like, a, it's like an incredibly good basketball player. Somebody who's lived their whole life practicing and practicing and practicing and reaching the highest levels of the game. And then along comes at a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan, and they say, but not like that. Like, I know what I'm doing here, but I don't know how to do that. That's different. The disciples are looking in and they're seeing the master at work. They're seeing the son talk to his father in a way that they've never seen anybody pray before. They say, I want to learn how to do that. And they ask him, teach us to pray. 
And Jesus turns to them and he says to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Notice that he does not teach them some intellectual understanding of prayer. He doesn't say, well, let me, let me, let's back up and let me teach you what prayer is, right? No, 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 no. He just says, let me show you. Let me show you how I do it. In every word, kind of it, the, the, the Lord's Prayer is kind of broken into these movements, or as John likes to say, chunks, apparently. Um, sorry, John, wherever you are. Uh, these kind of movements, these and, and every single one of them is very, very, very intentional. Jesus is pointing his disciples, his followers, you and me, his followers today, to some deep theological truths that transform, if we actually live into them and actually pray into them, will transform the way we view God, the way we view ourselves, and will transform the way we pray. This first word, Father, seems small to us today, Right? Because it's common for us. It's common for you to, to pray prayers that begin with the word Father. If you've ever prayed a prayer before, you've probably included that in the beginning of your prayers. Show of hands real quick. How many of you have ever started a prayer with Father? Or Father God? Or in Utah, Heavenly Father? Anybody? Anybody? All of us. Everybody has. Right? This is normal for us. It's, it's commonplace. We do it without even thinking about it. There's, no, there's nothing intellectual happening when we say, Father God, would you da 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 fill in the blank, right? There's nothing intellectual happening in that space. It's just habit. It's just common. That's how my dad prayed, or that's how my mom prayed, or that's how my pastor prays, or that's how my friends pray, and so that's how I pray. It just, it just rolls off the tongue. But we must allow these words to form us a little bit deeper than that. And so I want us to try to break some habits over the next few weeks. To kind of free ourselves from just saying, oh, the Lord's Prayer, I know that prayer. I got it unlocked, memorized. But what is Jesus actually saying? That first word, Father, would have blown his disciples' minds. It have blown their minds. Okay? See, like I said, they're not strangers to prayer. They've grown up being taught how to pray. But when they go to the synagogue and they hear prayers, the God that they pray to is the God who sends plagues on superpowers to like free his people. The God who parts the Red Sea, the God who leads his people by a pillar of fire and smoke, a God who closes the mouth of lions and delivers people from the fiery furnace and decimates enemies to bring his people into greater levels of flourishing. Like that's the God with these deep, holy, kind of fearful, reverent prayers. That's how they're taught to pray. They're praying to the God, Yahweh. In Hebrew, I am. A, a name so sacred that they wouldn't even be allowed to speak it. Too secret, sacred to speak, Yahweh. But Jesus begins his prayer in Greek, pater, father, father. That word would have blown his disciples' minds. Father, that's not what I think about when I think about God. That's how his disciples would have thought. Completely different the first word alone would have caused the disciples to lean in wide-eyed with more questions than answers. It would have confused and offended many of his day. And yet Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. For us, there's some connotations, some baggage that comes with the word Father. Some of us have had great dads, like great dads. I had a great dad. 
Like genuinely an amazing dad. And when I think of father, I think of just goodness and delight and joy. But that's not true for a lot of people. Some of us had bad dads, abusive dads. Maybe your dad wasn't around very much when you were a kid. Maybe, you're, maybe you've never even met your dad. You never knew him. Maybe your dad died when you were really young. Or maybe he was just an absent dad who was just never, ever, ever around. We carry baggage around with us when it comes to father. It's hard for many of us to imagine what a good father might actually be like. But here Jesus is declaring something. He's saying that every single time we pray, every single time we start our prayers with the word father, we are reminding ourselves of something critical, a deep, critical theological truth that God, the God, is a knowable, loving, and dependable father. God is a knowable, loving, and dependable father. We cannot let this first word just kind of roll off our tongue without any thought. We must remind ourselves every single time what it actually means that we've been adopted into the kingdom of God, that we've been given the right to become sons and daughters of God, and that we have a new father who is fully knowable, loving, and dependable. I want to walk through those three things real quick before we move on. First, God is a knowable father. He is a perfect image of a father. He's not distant, but he's near. The psalmists often pray this way. The psalms are kind of the prayer book of the Bible. We have psalms by different people, mostly David, but there's different people in the psalms that are praying, and often they refer to God as near and present. My favorite psalm, Psalm 46, starts this way in verse 1. Our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. For those of you who had a dad that was distant, that was far off, I mean, our Father is a very present help in trouble. God is not far from you. He's not somewhere out there in the clouds, in the distance, unknowable, unsearchable. No, He is. He is near. He is very present. He is very present in your life. He's right here right now. He's with you in this moment. He has a word for you this morning. He's in this room participating in every word of this sermon. He's a very present help in trouble. Psalm 75, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. Yes, his deeds are wondrous, infinitely beyond us. We can't comprehend them. And yet his name is glory. It is near. He's near. Yes, he is beyond us. We'll get to that in a little bit. But at the same time, he's very near to us. Very knowable. An intimate God who longs to be near and knowable to his children. Famously, Psalm 139, verse 7, starts this way. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. There is, where am I going to go? How can I escape from your presence? God is fully present, fully engaged in your life at any moment, at any time, like a good 
Father. You can turn to him because he's right there. Every time we speak the word Father in prayer, we are reminded that God, the God, is right here. But he's also a loving Father. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 13, 5, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You can trust in his love towards you. He is a, a, a father who is loving beyond our comprehension, constantly, always loving his children and loving them perfectly. He has loved you perfectly. Psalm 90, a psalm, a prayer of Moses. Moses says this, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Satisfy us in your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. His love is always there to satisfy us. The earth, the culture of our day says more. You need more. You need more. You need more. You need more. We're reminded by Moses. No, 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 no. Every morning we can rest with full satisfaction in the infinite love of our God. He's a loving father. And then famously, First uh, John 4, John says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. God is love. He is love. This is the defining word of our God. Love. It's who he is. Yes, he's knowable. Yes, he's dependable. But he is more than anything. He is love. Uh, in our path groups here at Flourishing Grace, these small little tiny groups of two or three men or two or three, four women, right, who gather together on a biweekly, sometimes weekly basis to, to, to practice uh, formation. Right now, all of our path groups have been given a new resource that they're going through together and sitting two months deep dive into prayer and prayer. And one of the, the book that's kind of uh, accompanying this new resource um, is a book by a guy named Tyler Staten, who's a pastor. And he wrote a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And in the book, he says this. He says, now in my second decade in pastoral ministry, I can say confidently that the number one obstacle to a modern person's faces when it comes to prayer is an inability to receive the love of God. He says, I've been doing this for 20 years. And with confidence, I can say the number one reason why we struggle in prayer is that we can't receive the love of God. We struggle to believe in a God as powerful, good, noble, and loving as the one Jesus introduces us to. God is love. It's who he is. The summary of his character boiled down into a single defining word. We buy that intellectually, but at a deeper level, somewhere in our emotions, in our bones, we don't trust it. We don't trust it. Intellectually, I know, I nod my head, yes, God is love. First John tells me that. I remember, yeah, 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 God is love. God is love. It sounds really good. But deep down, not for me. Yes, he's love. He loves the people sitting around me right now, but not me. I'm too broken. I, I just, I haven't prayed enough for him to love me in that way. I know that he is love. He's constantly loving everybody. And I, I get that, but not in the way that he, not me. I'm too sinful. I'm too self-absorbed. 
I'm too forgetful. I'm just too much of a failure for him to love me in that way. I do believe it for everybody else, but deep down in me, it's not me. That idea is the single thing that is robbing the church of deep, intimate, right, and rich prayers. That's the thing right there. If we knew the depths of God's love towards us, we would constantly be running towards him, constantly wanting to be all the more near to him. Friends, God loves you, and he loves you perfectly. He loves you so much that he's gone to an infinite length to draw you near to him. He himself has put on flesh to come to you. And he's taken all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt and he's laid it on himself. And he's gone to the cross and he has borne the consequences of your sin and of mine so that you might be cleansed of all of your unrighteousness and clothed, wrapped in his righteousness. That's how much he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die in your place so that he might welcome you in as his own son, as his own daughter, that he might love you as much as he loves his own son, perfectly in every single way. His love towards you is infinite. Last, he's a dependable father, right? But he, he, the, the psalmist says in Psalm 69, he says this, he says, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, Answer me in your saving faithfulness. Steadfast love, yes, but also saving faithfulness. He is dependable. He is faithful. Constantly, always towards you, he will carry you through. And I know some of you are already saying, again, just like the love piece, not me. You don't know the situation I'm in right now. You don't know what I'm going through right now. He is not here. He is not in my life. He's not engaging. He's not answering my prayers. He's not perfectly dependable towards me. He's not faithful towards me. What I love about Psalm 69, David goes on in the very next line. He says, deliver me from the sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. David is drowning in sorrow. He's drowning in enemies. And he says, I know you are perfectly loving and and you are steadfast in your faithfulness. I can depend on you. So deliver me. He doesn't say, man, everything's great because you're so dependable and everything's wonderful because you're so loving. He says, I trust you because you are loving and because you are steadfast in your faithfulness. In the midst, and I'm, I'm guessing that whatever David's going through there is probably worse than what you're going through here. It's probably worse. In the midst of the chaos of life, we place our hope and our knowledge on him that he is perfectly loving and perfectly dependable, even in the midst of the hardest moments of our life. We can rest and we can trust in him. We must remind ourselves that God can be counted on. Psalm 18, verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. He's a shield, perfectly true. His word is 
perfectly true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. We can, we can go to him and knowing that he is going to defend us. Just as it's right and good for the little child to trust that his father or his mother is going to defend that child. In the same way, God will perfectly defend us. He's an impenetrable shield. Psalm 52 verse 9 I thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. You've done it, and I'll wait for you. Right? You've done it, and therefore I know you will do it again. This God has done it again and again and again and again in your life. He has provided. He has cared. He has shown up. He has delivered you again and again and again. And this time, he will do it again. He is faithful. He is dependable. You can depend on him. When you pray, remind yourself of who you are praying to. A knowable, loving, and dependable father. That is who we pray to. That's who we pray to. And when we begin our prayers with Father, not just as a flippant word that we just say, because that's what we're supposed to say, but as a meaningful, intimate word that reminds us of these deep theological truths, it changes us. It changes our relationship with the Father. As I said, I got got two little boys, and not so little anymore, honestly. I keep saying little boys, but they're getting big. I got a five-year-old, and I got a nine-year-old. Winston just turned nine yesterday. And every day when I get home from work, they hear my car pull in the driveway because I need a new muffler. I come like rolling in. They hear the electric automatic lock unlocking on the door. And, and there's this excitement and joy. When I open that door, Dad's home, Daddy! There's like running and there's like this violence that ensues, like this loving violence. I'm being like tackled and just beat on like constantly for the next like five minutes of my life. And it's like the best part of my day. It's amazing. It's joy. It's delight. The one who is dependable and loving and knowable has walked in the door. He's returned home. And there's this excitement and joy in their life. There's this excitement and joy that they exude from them. And friends, how much more How much more, every time that we go to our knees in prayer, should we have that same childlike spirit in us? Daddy, like this is it. Father, like this is it. The one who is infinitely loving and infinitely uh, dependable. The one who is noble and near to us. The one who longs to draw near to us. Is the one that we get to go to again and again and again throughout our days. Constantly, always with us. And yet we've been tricked into believing that we are independent, that we have no need for others and certainly no need for God. We are sufficient and strong and stable achievers who can do. We can do it. And that lie, I believe, has robbed us of intimacy with the Father that we long for and crave. It has robbed us of peace and rest. In the midst of our hyper-independency, we find a people who are filled with anxiety, worry, stress, and fear, constantly banging the drum, I can do this, filled with anxiety, I can achieve it, stress to the max, I will get it done. This is who we are. Terrible 
at being independent and yet constantly saying, I'm independent. Culture, the world every day says, wake up, look yourself in the mirror and preach the mantra to yourself. You can do it. You are strong. You are bold and you can achieve and you will accomplish a day. You will get it done. You are successful. And today you're going to get it done. You're going to make that sale. You're going to get the whatever promotion. You're going to get it done today. And we go through our day all day long, working, 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 coming home, more stressed out, more weary, more tired. We go to bed and we get in the next morning, we look our weary self in the mirror again. We say, you are strong. You are bold. You can achieve it. You can do it. Lying to ourselves every day, preaching this false doctrine of independence to ourselves, convincing ourselves of something that is not true. But what if, what if you, like a small child, had a perfect father who you could know intimately, be loved by intimately, and depend on continuously? How freed might you be from your fears and your worries and your anxiety if you could daily find your way into those arms? If instead of saying, you can do it, you can achieve, you said, I know my father will do it. I know my father will provide and he will achieve. He's a loving father. He's a near, a very near and present help in my times of trouble. And I can depend on his steadfast faithfulness and his love towards me. And not only, not only is that true of our father, but our father is also a holy father. Those arms that we find our, our, our way to are not only loving arms and dependable arms and near arms, they're holy arms. They're hallowed arms. And this is the second thing in Luke's gospel that he says, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And I want to spend a few minutes just looking at this, this second piece. And I know some of you are like, wait, you're only getting to the second half of it? Na, 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 like now you're getting to the second half of it? Yep. Um, just kidding. It'll be shorter than the first half. I promise. Not only, God, not only is God a perfect father that you can depend on. Yes, he is. He is a perfect God who you should rightly depend on. Right? I said at the beginning, it's good and acceptable and right for a, for a child to depend on their parent because they, they love the child and they want to depend. They want to care for the child. But the parent is also stronger and mightier and wiser than the child. And God is perfectly strong, perfectly mild. He is holy in every single way. It is right for us to depend on him. It's not only, it's not only, he's not only a God that we can depend on, he's a God that we should rightly depend on. You see, the thing is, my kids come in and they're all excited to see me because they think that I'm loving and I'm dependable and I am those things, but I'm not. I will fail my kids. I have failed them in all of those categories. And I'll fail them again. And so will you. But our God has never failed us. And he will never fail us. So many people seek independence because the people in their lives, their friends and their families and significant others have failed them. You wear the scars of placing your dependency on somebody else or something else. Maybe a significant other, maybe a parent, maybe a boss, maybe a paycheck. And you've said, I'll never do that again. I will never be dependent on anybody ever again. 
You need to hear this. You have a God who is right and good for you to depend on. He will never fail you. His name is holy. Holy, hallowed. It means to be set apart, to be different, other, to make holy. Our Father is a reminder of God's intimacy. And hallowed is a reminder that he is not like our other fathers. He is perfect. He is other. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. That is our God. That is our Father. And holy is his name. In that same book, Tyler Staten says this. He says, For my prayer, to have any sense of coherence, I need to start by hallowing. Because our prayers come from the setting of the world. Subconsciously, I tend to believe the world is a neutral place. It's not. The world is a, is a contested place where almost always a name other than Jesus is being worshipped. When you open your mouths and begin to pray, almost certainly another name is being hallowed in our hearts. The names of accomplishment, success, productivity, approval from another person, comfort, easy execution of our own plans, self-will, and all of his destructive varieties. And all of those things are rooted in independence. Independence is hallowed in our hearts. When we pray, we step out of the fundamental reality of the world and we step into the fundamental reality of God. So we must begin by inviting God to reorder our affections. When God says, Father, hallowed be your name. When Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. He's inviting us into, he's inviting us into an intimate adoration. An intimate adoration. Father intimacy. Hallowed be your name, adoration. An intimate adoration. Starting our prayers with intimate adoration is not for God's sake. It's not for him. He knows who he is. He knows that he's a perfect father. And he knows that he's holy. It's for our sake. It's to remind us who we are speaking to. If we can slow down and be reminded of who he is, it transforms the way we pray our prayers. We must be a people who pray with wonder when it comes to our Father. It's again, it's a good and right thing for my boys. When they, when they look at me, right, they see a dad who is seemingly infinitely stronger than they will ever be. They, they, know, they see a dad who can do things that they cannot do. They are not strong enough. They're not fast enough. They can't do it. And little boys, they marvel at their dad's power and strength because it's so far beyond them. And it's a good and right thing. In the same way, we marvel at our Heavenly Father's strength and His goodness and His kindness. Yesterday for my son's birthday, we were skiing. We went skiing with some friends. All he wanted to do is like, I want to ski a double black diamond on my birthday, Dad. I'm like, all right. And so I, I'm, we're out on the mountain, we're skiing, skiing with my son, I'm watching him ski, I'm skiing with friends and their friends' kids, and we're watching them ski. And this whole, this whole day, I, there's some point I'm sitting up on the mountain, and I have this thought, before there was like anything, when there was just void and darkness, and God began to speak creation into being. He created mountains 
and he created snow, and he knew in that moment, he knew in that moment that someday a bunch of idiots would strap wooden sticks to their feet, and they would delight and joy in their hearts. They would ski on that snow, and they would think, this is the greatest thing ever. And I'm sitting there, I'm watching my boy, I'm watching my friends and their kids, and I'm thinking, this is, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm filled with like a sense of wonder in my heavenly Father. He is holy. He is beyond me. And yet he's so intimate and near and loving. It's this collision of his power and his love all coming together in that moment. We must be people who develop this intimate adoration in our hearts. We are but fully dependent children. It's who we are. We are far weaker than we realize. We're like little boys looking up at their dad saying, that dude is so unbelievably strong. I'll never be as strong. I'll never be as tall. I'll never be as big. And it's true. When it comes to us, we will never be like him. He is perfectly loving, infinitely powerful, and yet he delights in caring for us, caring for his children. Friends, we are far more dependent than we know, and dependency is far healthier than we want to admit. And as a church, man, I want us to actually live into that. This need for dependency, and viewing dependency on God as a healthy and right thing. I don't have to be independent when it comes to God. In fact, I need him in everything in my life. I need him in my marriage. I need him in my parenting. I need him in my friendships. I need him in the air that I breathe because without him, I will not take another breath. I need him in the big things and I need him in the small things. And the good news is that we have him. We have a perfect, loving father who is holy, never fails, who invites us into an intimate adoration. Intimate adoration. Father, Hallowed be your name. Intimate adoration. And I want to stop there. There's so much more we could say on this, these first few words. But we're, we're like well out of time. I'm going to get yelled at by all our kids' volunteers. They're, your kids are probably, they're probably dead now. Not your kids, the volunteers. The kids have killed the volunteers is what I was trying to say. That didn't come out right. Um, I'm in trouble. Here's the reality. I said this at the beginning. I'm going to say it again. I'll say it every week. This will not be easy for you. In fact, it's going to be the opposite of easy. No one in this room is going to wake up one day and have a healthy, right view of dependency and be fully dependent on God. It's not going to happen by accident in your life. You have been taught from a young age that dependency is bad and you should push it away and fight against it at all costs. This room is filled with people who make more money than most people in the entire world. The poorest person in here is one of the richest people in the world. We, we, here in South Davis County, in this room, men, we, we beat the average by far from like annual household incomes in America or in Utah, and even in Davis County for the most part. Like we are a very comfortable people, a people who are very independent. Independence comes pretty easy to us. We have the means, we have the power, and unless God brings some sort of major problem into our lives, some huge health crisis or some huge crisis of, we're pretty independent. 
It's really easy for us to walk through our lives and never give this much thought. We must cultivate an intimate adoration. We must pray prayers with deep intention. We must slow down and declare that our God is good and loving and near and dependable and he is holy in every way. We must slow down every day and remind ourselves of that. And so I want to invite you into that practice. I want to give you two things this morning. Two things. First, I want you this week to ask someone in your life for prayer. We've become very comfortable at Flourishing Grace, and I'm very, I'm very happy about this. This is a joy and a delight. Most of you in this room, every single week, write down a prayer request on, on this card. That's fantastic. Keep doing that. But I want to take the level of dependency up a notch, where we actually ask a friend, will you pray for me? This is what's going on in my life. And I'm a dependent person. I'm dependent on God, and therefore I'm driven to prayer. Dependency drives us to prayer. And I just need my people praying for me. I need my friends praying for me because I'm dependent on God. This is not weakness. This is wisdom. In a minute, I'm going to close, and I'm going to have some friends in the back who would love to pray for you and pray with you. RJ and Taylor will be back there. Josh Gardner is going to be back there. They would love to pray over your life. It is not weakness. It's wisdom to say, I need prayer in my life. My marriage needs prayer. My parenting needs prayer. My career needs prayer. Everything in my life needs prayer. Wise people saturate their lives in prayer. I don't want to be praying for myself, just, just me. I want everybody praying for me. I want everybody praying for me. It's not weakness, it's wisdom. Don't buy into the lie of culture that robs you from your intimacy with God. Thrust yourself upon him. Ask somebody in your life this week to pray for you. And then second, I want you to set an alarm on your phone. Some of you already do this. This is a practice that we've talked about here in Flourishing in the past. But just one alarm a day. One alarm. You set an alarm on your phone, and I want you to set aside at least five minutes, maybe 10 or 15 if you have time, to just pray those first few words of the Lord's Prayer. But slow down and pray them with great intention. Father, Hallowed be your name. Slow down and just pray through that. Just pray through that. Just pray through that. I wonder if we became a people who practice with our hands dependency by asking other people to pray for us and then practice with our soul and our mind cultivating this dependency on God through our prayers, how that might transform our entire church. How it might transform us what God might awaken right here in Davis County. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to receive communion. And communion here at Flourishing Grace is for those of us who say, man, Jesus is my Savior. I've given my life to Him. But communion is also like the ultimate reminder of God's faithfulness in our lives. I said earlier, He's given His Son. He's bled out. He's died for us. He loves you so unbelievably much. It's a a place where we come to the table with delight and joy in our hearts and we're reminded how much the Father loves us. It's a place that we are reminded of how much we need Him. I need His grace in my life every moment of every single day or the next moment will be a failure without it. But His amazing grace is sufficient over me again and again and again and again. 
And so I want to invite you in a few minutes. Um, our team will come forward. They'll have the bread. They'll have the cup. You can come down. You can take the bread and you can dip it in the cup. You can take it back to your seat and just meditate on the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the holiness of God. Or you can consume it right there. And we'll have a team in the back praying for people. So maybe you get up and you come receive communion. You go straight to the back and you say, man, I need prayer. Or maybe before you even take, come to, come to the table, you say, I need prayer. What I need more than the symbol that is communion is real communion with God. And so you go straight to the back. You say, man, I need prayer. I need prayer in my life. As the team comes forward, I just want to pray over you guys, just those first few words. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, you are near to us. You're right here in this place. You hear these words. You know our hearts. You know our needs. You know our wants and our longings. You know our sin. You know our failure. You are so unbelievably near to us. And you are loving and you are kind. Your love towards us is infinite. It is who you are. You love us in our brokenness and you love us in our sin. You love us even in our pursuit of independence. And in your loving kindness, you turn us back. And you remind us that you are the only indestructible, dependent thing in our life. We can depend on you fully and completely. Everything else in this world, everything else, money, fame, power, careers, people, everything else will fail us. But you are completely, perfectly faithful. You are a good, loving, kind, merciful, dependable Father. Holy is your name. It is right for us to depend on you. You are far more mighty, far more powerful, stronger and wiser than we could ever begin to imagine. You know all things. You sustain all things. You hold all things in your hand. You hold our futures in your hand. If there is breath in our lungs tomorrow, it will be because you and your sovereignty have placed it there. If there's joy in our life tomorrow, it'll be because you, in your delight and joy, have extended it to, to us. If my children are healthy, if my marriage is strong, it's because my God has lavished it upon me. It is right for me to depend on you. So would you increase my dependency? Would you diminish my craving for independency? Would you call me into an intimate adoration? Would you transform the prayers of the people here at Flourishing Grace and form us into the image of your Son as we cry, Father, hallowed be your name. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, when you are ready, we invite you to come forward. If you are a follower of Jesus, to take the bread that represents his body and to dip it into the cup which represents his blood. 
For those of you who say, I need prayer more than I need anything in this world, my friends in the back would love, would love to pray over your life when you're ready.